John, chapter 17, verses 6 through 26. Verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Briquet notes, By the name of God, we are here to understand his nature, his property, and attributes, his designs and counsels for the salvation of mankind. Christ, as the prophet of his church, made all these known unto his people. Learn hence that Jesus Christ has made a full and complete discovery of his Father's mind and will unto his people. I have manifested thy name unto them which thou gavest me. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Learn, one, that all believers are given unto Christ, as his purchase, and as his charge. They are given him as his subjects, as his children, as the wife of his bosom, as the members of his body. Learn, too, that none are given to Christ but those that were first the fathers. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. Learn three, that all those that are given unto Christ do keep his word. They keep it in their understandings, they hide it in their hearts, and they feel the force of it in their souls. They express the power of it in their lives. They have kept thy word. Verse 7. Now have they known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Burkett notes, observe here, one, the faithfulness of Christ in revealing the whole will of his Father to his disciples. Two, the proficiency of his disciples in the school of Christ. They knew all the things which Christ had told them, namely, that whatsoever he had was given him of the Father, and that he had these things from him to be a mediator. Learn hence that Christ hath approved himself a faithful prophet to his church, a faithful messenger from his Father to his people, in that he had added nothing to his message and taken nothing from it. Two, that it is our duty to know and believe on Christ as the only messenger and mediator sent of God. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. Burkett notes, As if Christ had said, The message by thee my Father committed to me, I have communicated to them my disciples, and they have received it, and will communicate it from thee to the world, that my coming and preaching was all by commission from thee. Hence learn, one, that the doctrine of the gospel, which was revealed by Christ, was received from the Father. Two, that faith is a receiving of the word of Christ, and of Christ in and by the word. Receiving is a relative term, and presupposes an offer. God offers on his part, and we receive on our part, the whole word with the whole heart. That the ministers of the gospel are to preach that and only that which they have out of the word of God. I have given them the word which thou gavest me. Verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Burkett notes, that is, I now offer up a prayer, particularly, one, for my apostles, designed for so great a work as the preaching of the everlasting gospel to the obstinate Jews and the obdurate Gentiles. Two, I intercede also for all the believers at this time, for their perseverance in faith and constancy in persecution. 
but I do not now intercede for the wicked and impenitent world, they not being capable, while such, of these mercies and blessings. Though at other times we find him praying for the world, yea, for his very crucifiers, Father, forgive them, etc. Nay, in this very prayer, at the twentieth verse, he prays for the world, that is, for the Gentile world, all those that, by the preaching of the apostles and their successors, should be brought to believe on him to the end of the world. Learn hence, one, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great and gracious intercessor. Two, that all believers, all the children of God in general, are under the fruit and benefit of Christ's intercession. Three, that as all the members of Christ in general, so the ministers and ambassadors of Christ in special, have a peculiar interest in Christ's intercession, and great are the advantages of his intercession for them. One, from the person interceding, Christ, consider the dignity of his person, God-man, the dearness of his person, God's son. From the manner of his intercession, not by way of entreaty or meritorious claim. Three, from the sublimity of his office, our intercessor is near to God, even at his right hand. Four, from the fruits of his intercession, it procures the acceptance and justification of our persons, the hearing and answering of our prayers, the pardon and forgiveness of our sins, our preservation in grace, and our hopes of eternal glory. Verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Burkett notes, We may understand this in two ways. One, of all persons, all my friends, all my disciples, all thine as well as mine. Thence learn that the Father and Son have a like share and property in all believers. Two, the words in the original, being of the neuter gender, signify, All thy things are mine, and all my things are thine. Christ and his Father are one, and they agree in one. They have the same essence and nature, the same attributes and will. Christ hath all things that the Father hath, willeth all things that the Father willeth, and doeth all things that the Father doeth. He is therefore really and essentially God. It followeth, I am glorified in them, that is, I am made glorious by their owning and receiving me, by their believing in me, and accepting of me for their Lord and Savior. Thence note that the Lord Jesus Christ is eminently glorified in and by those that believe in him and belong unto him. Verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Burkett notes. Here observe, one, our Savior's present condition. I am no more in the world. That is, I shall continue on earth but a small time longer, and then ascend to my Father in heaven. Learn thence that Jesus Christ, as he is man, he has gone out of this lower world into the immediate presence of his Father. He had been abased before. He must be exalted now. He had no more work to do on earth, but much to do in heaven. Therefore he left this earth to go to heaven. Observe, too, our Savior's prayer to his Father for his apostles before he left the world. Holy Father, keep them. That is, preserve them by thy divine power and goodness for the glory of thy holy name. Here note one, the title and appellation given to God, Holy Father. Thence learn that when we go to God in prayer, especially for grace and sanctification, we must look upon him as a Holy Father, as essentially and originally holy, 
as infinitely and independently holy. Note 2. The supplication requested of God, Keep through thy name those whom thou hast given me. Thence learn that the perseverance of the saints in a state of grace is the sweet effect and fruit of Christ's prayer. Christ has begged it, and it cannot be denied, there being such a harmony and sweet consent betwixt the will of the Father and the will of the Son. Three things concur to the believer's perseverance. On the Father's part, there's everlasting love and all-sufficient power. On the Son's part, there's everlasting merit and constant intercession. On the Spirit's part, there is a perpetual inhabitation and continued influence. Observe 3. The end of Christ's supplication on behalf of his people, that they may be one as we are one. Here note 1. That the heart of Christ is exceedingly set upon the unity and oneness of his members. The believer's union with Christ, their head, and with one another, has some resemblance to that unity that is betwixt the Father and the Son. For it is a holy and spiritual union, a close and intimate union, an indissolvable and inseparable union. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, that those which shall be saved are given unto Christ, and committed to his care and trust. Two, that none of those that are given unto Christ, as his charge, and are committed to his care and trust, shall be finally lost. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. It follows, but the son of perdition. A person may be said to be the son of perdition in two ways, actively and passively. Actively, he is so who makes it his work and business to destroy others. Passively, he is a son of perdition who for his wickedness in destroying others is destroyed himself. Judas was a son of perdition in both these senses. His heart was maliciously set upon destroying Christ and willfully set upon his own destruction. His covetousness and hypocrisy prompted him to betray our Savior. His despair provoked him to destroy himself. Verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I spake in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Burkett notes, In these words our Savior declares the great reason why he did at the time so publicly and solemnly pray for his disciples. It was to fill them with joy and comfort, that their joy might not be diminished by Christ's departure, but rather increased by the coming of the Comforter, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That is, the joy which they take in me and the joy which they have from me. There's a double care which Christ takes of his people, namely, a care of their graces and a care of their joy and comfort. How solicitous was he to leave his disciples joyful before he departed from them. He delights to see his people cheerful, and he knows of what great use spiritual joy is in the Christian's course, both to enable us for doing and to fit us for suffering. Learn hence, one, that Christ is the author and original of the joy of his people, my joy. Two, that it is Christ's will and desire that his people might be full of holy joy, that my joy may be fulfilled in them. Three, that the great end of Christ's prayer and intercession was and is that his people's hearts may be full of joy. These things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14. 
I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Burkett notes, I have given them thy word, partly by external revelation, and partly by internal illumination, and for thy word's sake the world hates them, and also because they are not of the world. Learn one, that Christians, especially ministers, to whom Christ has given his word, must expect the world's hatred. Few of the prophets or apostles died a natural death. As their calling is imminent, so must their suffering be exemplary. The best ministers and the best men are usually most hated. There is an antipathy against the power of godliness, or a cruel, causeless, implacable, and irreconcilable hatred against the saints, because of their strictness in religion and contrariety to the world. 2. That it is to the honor of believers that they are like unto Christ in being the objects of the world's hatred. The world hates them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. This Christ adds both for information and consolation. For information, that they should look for such hatred, ministry, and trouble as they saw him grapple with. And for consolation, to think that the world can never hate us so bad as it hated Christ. Verses 15 and 16. I pray not that thou should takest them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. The wisdom of Christ sees fit to continue his children and people in the world, notwithstanding all the perils and dangers of the world. He has work for them, and they are of use to him for a time in the world. Till their work be done, Christ's love will not, and the world's malice cannot, remove them from hence. Yet Christ prays that his Father would keep them from the evil, that is, from the sins, temptations, and snares of this wicked world. Thence note that a spiritual victory over evil is to be preferred before a total exemption from evil. It is a far greater mercy to be kept from sin in our afflictions than from the afflictions themselves. Learn farther how necessary divine aid is to our preservation and success, even in the holiest and best of enterprises, and how necessary it is to seek it by fervent prayer. Note also that such as sincerely devote themselves to Christ's service are sure of his aid and protection while so employed. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Burkett notes, Sanctify them, not initially, for so they were sanctified already, but progressively. Let them increase more and more in grace and holiness. Learn hence, 1. That such as are already sanctified must labor and ought to endeavor after further measures and higher degrees of sanctification, that the most holy may yet be more holy. 2. The word of God is the great instrument in God's hand for his people's sanctification. 3. That the word of God is the truth of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is a divine truth, an eternal truth, an infallible truth, and a holy truth. Verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. Burkett notes, observe here, one, Christ's mission. The Father sent him into the world. Christ's sending implies the designation of his person, his qualification for the work, his authority and commission. Learn hence 
that Christ did not of himself undertake the office of a mediator, but was sent, that is, authorized and commissioned of God so to do. Thou hast sent me into the world. Observe, too, as Christ's mission, so the apostles' mission. As thou hast sent me, so I have sent them. Learn, thence, that none may or ought to take of the office of the ministry without an authoritative sending from Christ himself, not immediately and extraordinarily by voice or vision, but immediately by the officers of the church. And such as are so sent are sent by Christ himself. And if so, it is the people's duty to reverence their persons, to respect their office, to receive their message. As thou hast sent me, so have I sent them. Verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Burkett notes, the word sanctify here is not to be taken for the cleansing, purifying, or making holy, that which before was unclean, but Christ sanctifying himself imports one, his separation of setting himself apart to be a sacrifice for sin. Two, his consecration or dedication of himself to this holy use and service. Hence learn that Jesus Christ did dedicate and solemnly set himself apart to the great work and office of a mediator. Learn, too, that the great end for which Christ did thus sanctify himself was that he might sanctify his members. Therefore did he consecrate and set himself apart for us, that we should be consecrated to and wholly set apart for him. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Burkett notes, Hitherto our Savior had been praying for himself and his apostles. Now he prays for all persons, both Jews and Gentiles, that should believe on him throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel. Hence learn, one, that all believers have a special interest in Christ's prayer. Two, that in the sense of the gospel, they are all believers who are wrought upon to believe in Christ through the word. Three, that such is Christ's care and love of his own, that they were remembered by him in his prayer, even before they had a being. I pray not for these alone, but for all that should believe in me. Verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Burkett notes, The special mercy and particular blessing which Christ prays for on behalf of believers is a close and intimate union betwixt the Father, himself, and them, and also betwixt one another. Such a union as doth, in some sort, resemble that union which is betwixt God and Christ. Not a unity of essence and nature, but of wills and affections. Hence note 1 that the mystical union betwixt Christ and his members carrieth some resemblance with that union which is betwixt the Father and the Son. 2. That union amongst the ministers and members of Jesus Christ is of so great importance, necessity, and consequence that he did in their behalf principally and chiefly pray for it, a unity of love and affection, of faith and profession, a unity of practice and conversation, are mercies which Christ earnestly prayed for, and has dearly paid for. And nothing is more desired by him now in heaven than that his disciples should be one among themselves here on earth. Father, may they be one, as we are one, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me.
Here Christ intimates one special advantage that would redound to the world by this desirable union betwixt his ministers and the members of Christ. It will, if not convert, yet at least convince the world that I and my doctrine came from God. Hence note that union among Christ's disciples is one special means to enlarge the kingdom of Christ and to cause the world to have better thoughts of him and his doctrine. By their being one, as we are one, the world will believe that thou hast sent me. Verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Burkett notes, Here observe, 1. Christ's communication of that glory to believers which he had received of the Father. That is, not his essential glory, but his mediatorial glory, the glory which thou gavest me. Now Christ has no glory given to him as God, but much glory bestowed upon him as a mediator. Observe, too, the end of this communication, why he gave his disciples that glory which his Father had given him, namely, that they might be one. Learn, one, that God the Father had bestowed much glory on Christ his Son, as he is man and mediator of his church. Two, that the same glory for kind and substance, though not for measure and degree, which Christ as mediator has received from the Father, is communicated to true believers. Three, that the great end of this communication was, and is, to oblige and enable his people to maintain a very strict union amongst themselves. The glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Four, that unity among believers is part of that glory which Christ as mediator hath obtained for them. Verse 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may have made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Burkett notes, observe here, one, that as the Father is in Christ, so is Christ in believers, and they in him. The Father is in Christ in respect of his divine nature, essence, and attributes, and Christ is in believers by the inhabitation of his Holy Spirit. Observe, too, that the believer's happiness consisteth in their oneness, in being one with God through Christ, and one amongst themselves, that they may be made perfect in one. Observe three, that God the Father loveth Christ his Son. Thou lovest them as thou hast loved me. God loved Christ first as God, so he is the first object of his love as representing his attributes exactly. Secondly, as mediator. John 10.17 Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life for my sheep. Observe four, that God the Father loves believers even as he loved Christ himself. That is, he loves them upon the same grounds that he loved them, namely, for their nearness and for their likeness to him. 1. For their nearness in relation to him. He loveth Christ as his son, believers as his children. 1 John 3. 1. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowest upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 2. The properties of the Father's love towards Christ and believers are the same. Doth he love Christ with a tender love, with an unchangeable love, with an everlasting love, so doth he love believers also. Observe 5, that Christ would have the world know that God the Father loveth the children of men as well as himself. Christ is not ambitious to engross all our love unto himself, but would have the world take notice of the goodwill of his Father, as well as of himself, to lost mankind. 
of the Father's loving himself as well as his own love in coming, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hath loved them as thou hast loved me. Verse 24 Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Burkett notes, Our Savior had prayed for his disciples' sanctification before. Here he prays for their glorification. 1. That they may be where he is. Now Christ is with them in his ordinances, in his word, and at his table. Ere long they shall be with him as his friends, as his spouse, as his companions, in his kingdom. 2. That they may be with him where he is. That is, more than the former. A blind man may be where the sun is but not with the Son, because he does not enjoy the light and benefit of it. To be with Christ where he is imports union and communion with him. 3. The being with him where he is, they may behold his glory, that is, to see it and everlastingly to possess and enjoy it. Learn, one, that all those things that are given to Christ as his charge and his reward shall certainly come to heaven to him. Father, I will that they be with me because I have merited that they should be with me. I will that they behold my glory, because I have purchased it at so dear a rate. Learn, too, that the work and employment of the saints in heaven chiefly consist in seeing and enjoying Christ's glory, for it will be a possessive sight. The language of every look will be, the happiness is mine, this glory is mine. Three, that the top and height of the saints' happiness in heaven consists in this, that they will be with Christ. Father. I will that they may be with me to behold my glory. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Burkett notes. Observe here, 1. The appellation given to God, O righteous Father. This is the sixth time that Christ in this prayer is called God Father it being so sweet a relation, and producing all love, delight, joy, and confidence in God by him that practically reproves it. But observe that at verse 11, when Christ prayed for his people's sanctification, he said, Holy Father, making use of that attribute which is the cause of all holiness in the creature. But now, praying for their glorification, he says, O righteous Father, righteous in making good thy promise both to me and them. Observe, too, what it is that our Savior affirms concerning the wicked and unbelieving world, that we have not known God. The world hath not known thee. Not as if the world had not known him at all, but not known him aright. The unbelieving and unsanctified part of the world, having no saving knowledge of God, not living answerably to what they know to be their duty. Observe 3. What Christ affirms concerning himself, but I have known thee, and these have known thee. Intimating, thus much unto us, that Jesus Christ knows God immediately, and all others know him by the means of Christ. Christ is the original and fountal cause of all the saving knowledge that believers have of God. There is not the least ray of saving illumination that did not descend from Christ and the Spirit of Christ. I have known thee, and these have known that thou didst send me. Verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. Burkett notes, that is, I have made known unto them thy nature, attributes, counsels, will, and commands, 
and I will continue the manifestation of the same unto the end. Learn hence that the saving knowledge of God was not attainable by natural abilities, but cometh to us by the special revelations of Jesus Christ. I have declared unto them thy name. Learn, too, that they that have the name of God, his nature and will, savingly declared to them, do not stand in need of any further declarations and discoveries of God's nature and will to be made unto them. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. Verse 26 continued. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Perquette notes, that is, that the love which is originally in thyself as the fountain of all grace may be communicated and dispensed from thee to them and become inherent in them. Learn hence that it's not enough for the people of God that they're beloved of him and that his love is towards them, but they must endeavor to have it in them, that is, experience it in the effects of it and in the sense and feeling of it in their own souls. The safety of the Christian lies in this, that God loves them, but the joy, the comfort, and happiness of a Christian consists in the knowledge, in the sensible apprehension and feeling of his love. Therefore, Christ clothes his prayer for his members with this affectionate and comprehensive petition. Let the love wherewith thou hast loved me be in them, and I in them.